Chapter Twenty, Part B of the Monastery by Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty, Part B. With a delicate obeisance, he left the room, evading Dame Glendinning, who hastened to assure him he would find his accommodations for repose much more agreeable than they had been the night before, there having been store of warm coverlets and a soft feather-bed sent up from the abbey. But the good knight probably thought that the grace and effect of his exit would be diminished if he were recalled from his heroics to discuss such sublunary and domestic topics, and therefore hastened away without waiting to hear her out. "'A pleasant gentleman,' said Dame Glendinning, "'but I will warrant him an humorous footnote, humorous, full of whims, thus Shakespeare, humorous as winter. The vulgar word humorsome comes nearest to the meaning. End footnote. And sings a sweet song, though it is somewhat of the longest. While I make mine a vow, he is goodly company. I wonder when he will go away. Having thus expressed her respect for her guest, not without intimation that she was heartily tired of his company, the good dame gave the signal for the family to disperse, and laid her injunctions on Halbert to attend Sir Piercy Shafton at daybreak, as he required. When stretched on his pallet by his brother's side, Halbert had no small cause to envy the sound sleep which instantly settled on the eyes of Edward, but refused him any share of its influence. He saw now too well what the spirit had darkly indicated, that, in granting the boon which he had asked so unadvisedly, she had contributed more to his harm than his good. He was now sensible, too late, of the various dangers and inconveniences with which his dearest friends were threatened alike by his discomfiture or his success in the approaching duel. If he fell, he might say personally good-night all, but it was not the less certain that he should leave a dreadful legacy of distress and embarrassment to his mother and family, an anticipation which by no means tended to render the front of death, in itself a grisly object, more agreeable to his imagination. The vengeance of the abbot, his conscience told him, was sure to descend on his mother and brother, or could only be averted by the generosity of the victor. And Mary Avenel, he should have shown himself, if he succumbed in the present combat, as inefficient in protecting her, as he had been unnecessarily active in bringing disaster, on her and on the house in which she had been protected from infancy. And to this view of the case were to be added all those embittered and anxious feelings, with which the bravest men, even in a better or less doubtful quarrel, regard the issue of a dubious conflict the first time when it has been their fate to engage in an affair of that nature. But however disconsolate the prospect seemed in the event of his being conquered, Halbert could expect from victory little more than the safety of his own life, and the gratification of his wounded pride. To his friends, to his mother and brother, especially to Mary Avenel, the consequences of his triumph would be more certain destruction than the contingency of his defeat and death. If the English knight survived, he might in courtesy extend his protection to them, but if he fell, nothing was likely to screen them from the vindictive measures which the abbot and convent would surely adopt against the violation of the peace of the Halidome, and the slaughter of a protected guest by one of their own vassals, within whose house they had lodged him for shelter. These thoughts, in which neither view of the case augured aught short of ruin to his family, and that ruin entirely brought on by his own rashness were thorns in Halbert Glendinning's pillow, and deprived his soul of peace and his eyes of slumber. There appeared to be no middle course, saving one which was marked by degradation, and which, even if he stooped to it, 
was by no means free of danger. He might indeed confess to the English knight the strange circumstances which led to his presenting him with that token which the white lady, in her displeasure as it now seemed, had given him, that he might offer it to Sir Piercy Shafton. But to this avowal his pride could not stoop, and reason, who was wonderfully ready to be of counsel with pride on such occasions, offered many arguments to show it would be useless as well as mean, so far to degrade himself. If I tell a tale so wonderful, thought he, shall I not either be stigmatized as a liar, or punished as a wizard? Were Sir Piercy Shafton generous, noble, and benevolent, as the champions of whom we hear in romance, I might indeed gain his ear, and without demeaning myself escape from the situation in which I am placed, but as he is, or at least seems to be, self-conceited, arrogant, vain, and presumptuous, I should but humble myself in vain, and I will not humble myself," he said, starting out of bed, grasping his broad sword and brandishing it in the light of the moon, which streamed through the deep niche that served them as a window, when, to his extreme surprise and terror, an airy form stood in the moonlight, but intercepted not the reflection on the floor. Dimly as it was expressed, the sound of the voice soon made him sensible he saw the white lady. At no time had her presence seemed so terrific to him. For when he had invoked her it was with the expectation of the apparition, and the determination to abide the issue. But now she had come uncalled, and her presence impressed him with a sense of approaching misfortune, and with the hideous apprehension that he had associated himself with a demon, over whose motions he had no control, and of whose powers and quality he had no certain knowledge. He remained, therefore, in mere terror, gazing on the apparition which chanted or recited in cadence the following lines. He whose heart for vengeance sued must not shrink from shedding blood the knot that thou hast tied with word thou must loose by edge of sword. Said Halbert Glendinning, I have bought thy advice too dearly already. Be gone in the name of God. The spirit laughed, and the cold unnatural sound of her laughter had something in it more fearful than the usually melancholy tones of her voice. She then replied, "'You have summoned me once, you have summoned me twice, and without e'er a summons I come to you thrice. Unasked for, unsued for, you came to my glen. Unsued and unasked, I am with you again.' Halbert Glendinning gave way for a moment to terror, and called on his brother, "'Edward! Waken! Waken! For our lady's sake!' Edward awaked accordingly, and asked what he wanted. "'Look out,' said Halbert. "'Look up. Seest thou no one in the room?' No, upon my good word, said Edward, looking out. What, seest thou nothing in the moonshine upon the floor there? No, nothing, answered Edward, save thyself resting on thy naked sword. I tell thee, Halbert, thou shouldst trust more to thy spiritual arms, and less to those of steel and iron. For this many a night hast thou started, and moaned, and cried out of fighting, and of spectres, and of goblins. Thy sleep hath not refreshed thee, thy waking hath been a dream. Credit me, dear Halbert say the pater, and the credo. Resign thyself to the protection of God, and thou wilt sleep sound and wake in comfort. It may be, said Halbert slowly, and having his eyes still bent on the female form which to him seemed distinctly visible, it may be. But tell me, dear Edward, seest thou no one in the chamber floor but me? No one, answered Edward, raising himself on his elbow. Dear brother, lay aside thy weapon, say thy prayers, and lay thee down to rest." While he thus spoke, the spirit smiled at Halbert as if in scorn. Her wan cheek faded in the wan moonlight even before the smile had passed away. 
and Halbert himself no longer beheld the vision to which he had so anxiously solicited his brother's attention. "'May God preserve my wits,' he said, as, laying aside his weapon, he again threw himself on his bed. "'Amen, my dearest brother,' answered Edward, "'but we must not provoke that heaven in our wantonness which we invoke in our misery. Be not angry with me, my dear brother. I know not why you have totally of late estranged yourself from me. It is true I am neither so athletic in body, nor so alert in courage, as you have been from your infancy. Yet till lately you have not absolutely cast off my society. Believe me, I have wept in secret, though I forbore to intrude myself on your privacy. The time has been, when you held me not so cheap, and when, if I could not follow the game so closely, or mark it so truly as you, I could fill up our intervals of pastime with pleasant tales of the olden times, which I had read or heard, and which excited even your attention as we sate and ate our provision by some pleasant spring. But now I have, though I know not why, lost thy regard and affection. Nay, toss not thy arms about thee thus wildly, said the younger brother. From thy strange dreams I fear some touch of fever hath affected thy blood. Let me draw closer around thee thy mantle. Forbear, said Halbert, your care is needless, your complaints are without reason, your fears on my account are in vain. Nay, but hear me, brother, said Edward, and now even your waking dreams are of beings which belong not to this world, or to our race. Our good father Eustace says that, howbeit we may not do well to receive all idle tales of goblins and spectres, yet there is warrant from Holy Scripture to believe that the fiends haunt waste and solitary places and that those who frequent such wildernesses alone are the prey or the sport of these wandering demons. And therefore I pray thee, brother, let me go with you when you go next up the glen, where, as you well know, there be places of evil reputation. Thou carest not for my escort, but, Halbert, such dangers are more safely encountered by the wise in judgment than by the bold in bosom. And though I have small cause to boast of my own wisdom, yet I have that which ariseth from the written knowledge of elder times. There was a moment during this discourse, when Halbert had well nigh come to the resolution of disburdening his own breast, by entrusting Edward with all that weighed upon it. But when his brother reminded him that this was the morning of a high holiday, and that, setting aside all other business or pleasure, he ought to go to the monastery and shrive himself before Father Eustace, who would that day occupy the confessional, pride stepped in and confirmed his wavering resolution. I will not avow, he thought, a tale so extraordinary, that I may be considered as an impostor or something worse. I will not fly from this Englishman, whose arm and sword may be no better than my own. My fathers have faced his betters, were he as much distinguished in battle as he is by his quaint discourse. Pride, which has been said to save man, and woman too, from falling, has yet a stronger influence on the mind when it embraces the cause of passion and seldom fails to render it victorious over conscience and reason. Halbert, once determined, though not to the better course, at length slept soundly, and was only awakened by the dawn of day. End of chapter 20 Part B